And we have liftoff. It's another launch of the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to Tuesday. And uh, this is a kind of a topsy-turvy deal for the states of Nebraska and Kansas and far and wide, wherever we're seen. Very dry, very windy right now as we look around the state. Uh, Shaley Peters is out and among them for today. Do you have the winds and the dry where you are? Uh, yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it was a little nerve-wracking in our area. Yesterday, we had a field fire. Thankfully, no farm equipment, but it was like people just flocking, trying to get it stopped, and thankfully, mm-hmm. they did. But I know that's a big concern this time of year with combines out in the field and equipment, those fires break out, and it's kind of scary business. Yeah, suddenly you find yourself, uh, you know, you're a harvester one month and a first responder the next. It gets to be yes. kind of hairy out there. Yes. All right. Well, let's find out what is going on in some of our headlines from the Ag Department with Shaley. Well, coming up at 1213, of course, we've got Ag News for you. And uh, interesting little tidbit. It's been back and forth in the news here for a while. Hasn't resurfaced for a little while, but uh, basically a Reuters investigation into the World Health Organization's glyphosate being a carcinogen. Um, they dove into that a little bit, and we've got those results coming up. They're basically calling the World Health Organization a bunch of liars. So we're going to look at that in our 1213 Ag News. And then up at 1219, Dewey has Water Street Solutions on, visiting with Dean Hefta. And uh, he, in his little comment, says, prepare to become the farm's next leader. So they're going to be telling us all about that at 1219, 1245, Bryce Duskett has our newsmaker. National FFA kicks off today, and he's got uh, Stetson Dittmar. He was selected as a national finalist for the National FFA Proficiency Award in Beef Production. Uh, he's a member of the SEM FFA chapter, so I imagine some local interest there as well. And then at 117, I've got a member from Phil McCain from the wheat industry, on they are being featured the wheat industry is on food network and cooking channel so double interest on my part anything food related food network i'm interested in but the wheat industry really putting a focus there at 117 so some great stuff coming up today at midday all right well anything with wheat that involves butter or frosting i'll be into all right correct okay (laughs) thanks very much jason jorgensen's on sports world series starts tonight Speaking of weather, it's been really hot out in California. Yes, it has. Hit 104 yesterday, Chavez Ravine. Oh. Expecting triple-digit temperatures again today. Maybe they shouldn't play in a ravine. <laughs> maybe maybe not. <laughs> I don't know, but even out there in California, I don't think they yeah. figure out it to be this hot. No. And that will be an earlier start for them. Okay. 7.09 Central Time, so about 5.09. It'll, it'll be the heat of the day. So we'll touch on that. Also, we will hear from Nebraska head coach Mike Riley on how the Huskers spent their bye week. How would we imagine that was? Was they looked at themselves and tried to get better. A little introspection. Yes, that's right. All right. Very good. Well, listen for Coach Riley's comments. Bob Rogan on business. Stocks are rising, led by industrial companies and banks. Caterpillar reporting better than expected third quarter results. That's driving some of it. And kind of a mainstay for Sears. Uh, sort of a sad day. Sears no longer will be selling Whirlpool yeah. until we say goodbye to that relationship. All right. All this and more coming up today on Midday. It's 
Likely to be a little bit windy, and we bring in Paul Perkins with a look at our ag weather for Coolman Repair. Yeah, especially if you're driving a high-profile vehicle, those winds can grab you rather quickly out yeah. there. Okay. Even, even if you're driving a car or pickup, and yeah, so, come out and, from a sheltered area, bam. Engage that positive traction there, Atlanta, <laughs> and uh, make sure that to stay on the straight and narrow. So what uh, this next uh, probably 36 to 48 hours is going to be a real roller coaster. Yeah, very up and down. Down right now, but very up for tomorrow and then once again down as we head towards thursday right now we're dealing with a lot of wind all thanks to some strengthening low pressure over the great lakes and a strong area of high pressure over idaho and colorado giving us these windy conditions for today winds gusting into the 40s but we will start start to see those winds drop off by late afternoon a more northerly flow today keeping those temperatures a little bit cooler than what we saw yesterday the strong winds going to make for some hazardous burning conditions. We do have a red flag warning in effect for extreme south central Nebraska and north central Kansas, but any use of open plane today should be uh, not dealt with today. Just don't do any kind of burning because it is very dry everywhere. Winds will shift to the west and start to drop off for tonight as ridge of high pressure moves overhead. And with that area of high pressure overhead for tomorrow, we're going to see the best of our next seven days with the weather, mainly light winds and temperatures tomorrow in the 70s. And then it goes away just like that. A strong cold front will race south on Thursday morning, return those gusty northwest winds up to around 40. Some colder air behind that front, keeping temperatures nearly steady through the day on Thursday. A hard freeze likely for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, especially Thursday and Friday nights. Much of central Nebraska looking at overnight lows in the low to mid-20s. And I know a few days ago, or yesterday, we had forecast models indicating we could see some teens in portions of central Nebraska. Friday going to be the worst of our weather days with some breezy conditions and temperatures only making it into the 40s. And some areas are saying may even get stuck in the upper 30s. But a ridge of high pressure edges closer over the weekend and early next week to start moderating the temperatures. In the long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas expected to hover right around seasonal to cooler than normal Sunday through the first six days of November. In central Nebraska, our daytime highs in late October and early November usually average in the upper 50s with overnight lows in the low 30s. Near normal to below normal precipitation forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 6th. The cooling of sea temperatures over the tropical waters of the Pacific continue to indicate a La Nina pattern will develop by next month. The U.S. government predicts a 55 to 65 percent chance of La Nina. La Nina patterns usually result in wetter than normal weather in Australia and Southeast Asia and drought in parts of the U.S. and South America and also probably some cooler temperatures than normal, especially in the northern U.S. Weather factors affecting the market trade include a dry 10-day forecast for U.S. harvest and steadily improving Prospects for South America rain. The eastern Midwest will see harvest delays for a few more days after some wet conditions. That pattern, though, turns dry for all of the Midwest six to ten days from now. Freezing temperatures are likely in the northern Midwest, and that will help to dry the corn for harvest. Some freezing conditions in the southern plains at the end of the week will be washed for possible stress to emerging winter wheat. Cold weather and some snow in store for the northern plains late in the week. It does not, though, appear it will disrupt the harvest very much. After a dry pattern, central Brazil's forecast indicates increasing chances for beneficial rain in the next week. Central Argentina expects rain the next five days that will help to keep their soil moisture at favorable levels. 
All right, our ag weather brought to you by Coleman Repair, and uh, I don't know, Paul Perkins, the (laughs) Mother Nature seems to be a fickle old dame sometimes. (laughs) She can't make up her mind this week, for sure. (laughs) Up and down we go. (laughs) It's a a woman's prerogative, what can you say? Yes. All right. I just want to quickly remind you, if you haven't done it already, make sure that you go to, uh, well, wherever you download your free apps and get the KRBN app. It's powered by Harker Road Motors. You get all kinds of weather on there. And uh, a lot of times you'll also find uh, some resources that we don't even uh, tell you about here on the air. I'll have pictures about where all of the uh, worst of the dry and dangerous weather is going to be. So make sure you get that on your smartphone. Powered by Harker Road Motors. Real prices, real people, real fun. And when you need weather anytime, it's also at krvn.com. October feeder cattle, 154.95, up 132. Bigger gains in the back months with November, 155.87. That's up 315. January, 154.52, up 365. That's pulled lean hogs higher with December at 64.25, up 72. February, 68.62, up 40. And April at 72.97, up 32. Big gains in the Dow. The 30 industrial average up 197 at 23,471. NASDAQ up 13 at 6,600. S&P 500 up 3 at 2,567. Get ready. Get set. Grow. That's right. I said grow. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can always grow through 4-H. Members may be between the ages of 8 and 18. But those younger can join Clover Kids, and adults can volunteer to lead and work with youth. In 4-H, you can grow plants and flowers, raise livestock and pets, and even grow your skill level in everything from photography to food preservation. 4-H programs help you grow in confidence, leadership, and responsibility. Through 4-H, you can grow friendships and help build communities. 4-H grows plants, animals, and projects. But most importantly, it grows people. So join 4-H and start growing. Learn more about the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Extension 4-H Youth Development Program at 4-H.unl.edu. Reuters says the World Health Organization glyphosate report is full of lies. Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a check of your midday ag news. A new report by Reuters says the World Health Organization purposefully distorted its finding on glyphosate resulting in the United Nations claiming the weed killer is a carcinogen. Reuters examined documents from the International Agency for Research on Cancer's Assessment of Glyphosate, a report that has prompted international disputes and lawsuits. The examination found key sections of the report by WHO underwent significant changes and deletions before the report was finalized and made public. Analysts say in one instance, a fresh statistical analysis was inserted, effectively reversing the original finding. A draft of the report reviewed by Reuters in a comparison with the published report showed the removal of multiple scientists' conclusions that their studies had found no link between glyphosate and cancer in laboratory animals. Monsanto spokesperson whose flagship product Roundup uses glyphosate as a primary ingredient told Reuters the changes to the draft shows how 
how the WHO manipulated and distorted scientific data. And corn harvest is kicking off all across Nebraska. And Rural Radio Network's Chabella Guzman has an update for us from the panhandle on how harvest is looking out there. Wind, sun, and cooler days are helping to move corn harvest along. John Callahan, grain merchandiser at Crossroads Co-op in Garing, gives us an update of how the crop is looking. Well, right now we have corn coming into uh, a lot of our southern locations. Just starting in the northern locations here, I think we've taken in uh, roughly 40,000 in Bridgeport, 20,000 in Lyman, about 150,000 in, in Gurley so far, and uh, smattering down south in the Potter, Sydney, and Lorenzo area. I think the moisture levels are coming down. We were in the mid to low 20s at the end of last week. Uh, there was a few 18 moisture uh, loads tested, but I think for the most part it's it's uh, probably about a week away. What we've seen so far has been fairly good on the test weight. We hear from some of our producers that they expect their yields, especially in the valley here in the irrigated, that you know, escaped a lot of the hail to be actually very well so you know we're optimistic right now commodity prices are in a slump but callahan and others hope to see the price rise with the rural radio network i'm chabella guzman and in other ag news yesterday oklahoma members of the organization for competitive markets or ocm and rcaf usa joined together to file with the oklahoma supreme court an application for original jurisdiction requesting the court enter a declaratory judgment and prohibit the Oklahoma Department of Agriculture, Food, and Forestry from certifying the Oklahoma Beef Checkoff Program referendum. The legal application is in response to the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association's attempt to create a new Oklahoma State Beef Checkoff Program through a referendum which began on October 2, 2017. If passed, the new Beef Checkoff Program would mandate all Oklahoma cattle producers Producers pay the Oklahoma Beef Council an additional $1 for every head of cattle they sell. Currently under a federally mandated beef checkoff program, all cattle producers are required to pay $1. The state referendum would effectively double Oklahoma cattle producers' beef checkoff fees by requiring an additional tax of $3.2 million a year. The in-person voting on the referendum is to be held on November 1st, 2017, with votes cast at any Oklahoma Extension office. And that's a quick look at your midday ag news. All of these stories can be found on RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. On our program today, we talk with Dean Hefta, Director with Water Street Solutions, on preparing to become the farm's next leader. Dean, what can young farmers do to prepare? Well, if you're a young farmer, chances are good that you want to do your best that you possibly can to become excellent as a farmer and a farm leader. Maybe you'll be carrying on an operation that has been in your family for generations, or maybe you're working to start your own operation with the help of a friend or a neighbor. Either way, you probably have some questions about what your role in the future looks like as a leader. And for many young farmers, it can even feel overwhelming to picture leading the farm by ourselves, especially if we've worked with or under somebody for a long time. And we start to wonder, what are the things that we don't know yet that we need to know? And a good question to ask ourselves is, what is it that I might realize I don't know? And how am I going to find out what those things are? Dean, what can we do to start figuring this out? I believe the key to approaching these questions and uh, really the whole process is having the right mindset. 
So working to keep an open learner's mindset, remembering that you may not know everything you need to know yet, and how you get there is to ask lots of questions. Uh, You feel like you don't have all the answers, but that's definitely okay. Nobody is expecting us to have the answers. Even if we've been farming for 40 years, people don't have all the answers. And with the right mindset in place, you'll want to start thinking about the particular areas that you want to learn more about or that you really need to learn more about. And some of the activities that we end up learning about aren't the things that we might be passionate about. So we we have to know, in order to serve the farm, what do I need to know? And a lot of times we gain a lot of the experience by working in the areas or in the operation We get to know things that we're familiar with around machinery or the seasonal activities, planting, spraying. But when it comes to some of the business and financial areas of the farm, uh, as a young farmer, I might not have gotten a lot of exposure that I will need once I'm leading. You know, maybe dad or whoever I'm working with has always dealt with that, the the financial work, the planning, the banker meetings. And uh, I've not had that exposure. And so as a younger generation, I need to be very diligent about developing those skills because I know that that's going to be one of the responsibilities that I have in the future of the farm. So how can they start getting that experience? Well, you can even sit down and just start making a list of the skills and experiences that you believe are important for running the farm in the future. When you think through as many of those possible things, you can build a big list, go back and really circle the ones that you see you have not had a lot of chance for exposure to and put those in order starting with the ones that you want to start working on first. Focus on the first five. You know, how can I best acquire the skills I'll need in this area? Uh, Who can I observe or learn from? What are some of the areas that I can practice and get more experience? So you're asking yourself these questions, and when we ask ourselves those questions, we really propel ourselves forward. And, you know, another way to get exposure is getting exposed to different ways of thinking. For example, um, you know, I host a podcast that's focused on the business skills of farming. It's called Modern Farm Business Podcast. That is all about developing areas that maybe we don't on a day-to-day get exposed to. If you'd like more information about this topic or any other, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today, we've talked about preparing to become the farm's next leader with Dean Hafta, Director, Water Street Solution. Midday from the Rural Radio Network and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, temperatures are expected to reach the triple digits at Dodger Stadium today where L.A. and Houston meet for Game 1 of the World Series. Game time is set for 5.09 Pacific time, and it could be the warmest World Series ever. An October heat wave slugged Southern California yesterday, with the temperature reaching 104 degrees shortly after lunchtime in Chavez Ravine. It was still blazing hot when the Dodgers and Astros showed up at Dodger Stadium for a brief late afternoon workout. Well, the Husker football team had the week off following that big blowout loss to Ohio State a couple of weeks back. Head coach Mike Riley talks about how the Huskers tried to use that extra practice time. What we did is we did a lot of self-evaluation and working with our team, not necessarily game planning, but just working on whatever we saw as we evaluated those things that would be necessary to help our players get better. The reassessment of, of the work Uh, has to do with how we can help the players and then also to have a 
I think, a good picture of what is important for us to emphasize doing. The Huskers play at Purdue Saturday night with kickoff set for 6.30 Central. It was also announced yesterday that the Huskers' home game with Northwestern will kick off at 2.30 Central on November 4th. Ohio State coach Urban Meyer says revenge could be a factor against Penn State this week. Last year, the Buckeyes were ranked second and stunned by unranked Penn State 24-21. to This time around, the Nittany Lions are the ones ranked second and the Buckeyes are sixth. Meyer says he's played the revenge card with his players to motivate them in the past with varying results. He doesn't know yet if he'll use it this week. And a week after 23rd-ranked Iowa State struggled to beat Army at home in September of 2005, it fell out of the top 25. It would take a dozen years and three different head coaches for the Cyclones to finally return to the national rankings. Iowa State climbed back into the top 25 at number 25 this week on the strength of three straight wins, including victories at Oklahoma and Texas Tech. A huge test comes this Saturday at home against fourth-ranked TCU. And the hearing where Tiger Woods is expected to enter a diversion program for intoxicated drivers has been moved from Wednesday to Friday. No reason was given for the change. The 41-year-old former superstar golfer is scheduled to plead guilty to reckless driving in Palm Beach County, Florida. In the diversion program, Woods will spend a year on probation, pay a $250 fine, and attend DUI school along with other conditions. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dave Schroeder. Clear skies tonight. Lows in the 40s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Low enrollment in a small high school in Nebraska's Sand Hills region will trigger a vote on the fate of the school district where state education officials have been working to improve student performance. Loop County Public Schools' low enrollment has prompted a state law that would force the district to dissolve unless residents vote in November to keep it open. The district's high school has 21 students. If residents vote to keep the school open, they'd have to vote each year until enrollment reaches 35. The district was named one of three priority schools as part of the Nebraska Department of Education's new accountability system that classifies school districts into four performance-based levels. Officials selected Loop County because it faces struggles common in rural districts. Governor Pete Ricketts says the close relationship Nebraska has with Czech Republic is about to become even closer. That the Czech Republic is going to create an honorary council general position right here in the state of Nebraska in recognition of our great Czech people and Czech heritage. We have Dr. Mila Seskova Pierce here. She is going to be the new Honorary Consul General. Now the role of Honorary Consul General will involve, for example, helping Czech citizens who are in distress here in the United States, uh, working on emergency passport type issues, uh, providing consultations either in person or by phone, uh, and just in general, making sure that she is helping promote the uh, Chubb culture here in Nebraska. Siskova Pierce is a University of Nebraska Lincoln professor. Governor Ricketts says 83,000 Nebraska residents trace their ancestry back to the Czech Republic, and the state has the highest per capita number nationwide. Sentencing was scheduled for Monday morning in Dawson County District Court for a man arrested this past summer with a stolen rental van. But through his attorney, 42-year-old Anthony Corrado asked to withdraw his plea and request a new attorney to represent him. 
Corrado and 42-year-old Andrea Franton, then of Valley Springs, California, were arrested by Lexington Police Department in the Lexington Walmart parking lot this past July in connection with a rental moving van reported stolen from Stockton, California. The moving van was tracked to that location by OnStar. According to a court affidavit, officers found a man and a woman sleeping in a pickup that was on a boat trailer being towed by the moving van. They advised officers that they were in the process of moving from California to Missouri. Officers performed a search of the scene and uncovered drug-related items along with several containers of suspected marijuana. Trusted charities are accepting donations for hurricane disaster relief. Do your part using our links at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. The National FFA organization has announced that Stetson Dittmer from Oconto was selected as a national finalist for the National FFA Proficiency Award in Beef Production Entrepreneurship. Dittmer is only one of four people chosen to compete for this award at the national finals, of course, being held this week at the National FFA Convention and Expo in Indianapolis. The Proficiency Award recognizes outstanding student achievement in agribusiness, gained through the establishment of a new business, and here to talk about the business that he formed within beef production is Stetsman Dittmer from Okanto. Again, Stetson, thank you very much for joining us. Tell us first and foremost a little bit about yourself and your project. Um... My FFA chapter is uh, Sumner Eddieville Miller FFA chapter. Uh, I was in FFA all through junior high and high school. My project is beef entrepreneurship. Uh, it uh, helps students build their herds. Up. I was uh, fortunate to be able to start with one calf when I was younger, and I kept her into a cow, and then I... Uh, kept replacement heifers out of her and sold the steer calves, and I was able to, uh, with the money I made from the steer calves, I purchased more cows to bring in my herd, and that was how I was able to build up my herd. And uh, with the entrepreneurship, it helps you keep track of all the records you have with your cows, uh, where your herd's going, showing your growth. I was able to build my herd from one cow to roughly around 25, and then I made a bigger purchase of cows of last year to increase my herd because once I graduate from Southeast Community College, I plan on returning home to the family farm and uh, building up my herd further. Well, you stole my next question because I was going to ask your future plans, but I do understand you're attending Southeast Community College, so tell us about how you decided your education path. Um, I chose Southeast Community College because they're a great ag school. I, uh, they're really hands-on. I uh loved the beef side of things, but I also wanted to get on the crop side of it, and they offered both. So I was able to major in diversified ag. Uh, I'll be finishing up classes uh, December time coming up, and then you'll have a internship that I'll go on, and then I plan on returning home. And tell folks a little bit about the process uh, that you went through to get to where you are now and then what that looks like at the upcoming National FFA Convention. Uh, it starts with you keeping track of all your records and you have to put it into, they call it the AET, it's a program. Um, then they send those to the district level and they judge them and the gold winners end up going to state and they judge them at state and they pick the finalists and then you go to the state convention and you interview 
and then out of the interview process they choose a winner that's how you end up making it to the national level then um, the national level judges all of the proficiencies out of the state winners in the United States and then they choose four finalists and I was lucky enough to be one of the four finalists and I will go to Indianapolis next week to and see where it is. And what is your long-term goal, Stetson? I know you mentioned you want to return back to your family's farming operation, but but what's your long-term goal with your operation? I'd like to continue to grow my beef herd um, with opportunities that come up. And I'd also like to get in on the crop side and stay around the local area and just continue to grow my, uh, my operation and then eventually, hopefully, take over the family farm. What's your recommendation for people who are listening to this interview right now uh, for getting involved with the FFA program, but also growing their beef herd from an entrepreneurship standpoint from what you did? What's your advice to those kinds of people? Um, getting involved with FFA, it, it's a really great organization for students that don't have an uh, ag background. It teaches them a lot about agriculture, and if a student does have an ag background, it really helps them to... Uh, see more into ag and learn more details about it. Uh, advice on building your herd, just always look for opportunities to grow your herd or always learn more things to bring back to your herd and ideas to implement with your herd because somebody's probably done some idea along the way and you can use their ideas to help improve your herd. Is there anyone you want to thank for getting you to this point? Um, I'd really like to thank my uh, FSA advisor Janice Wolfinger for helping me through this process, and I'd also like to thank my dad for helping me build my herd up to where it is because I wouldn't be where I was without him. That was Stetson Dittmer from Oconto, a member of the SEM, Sumner Eddyville Miller FFA chapter. We certainly wish our best to Stetson as he competes this week at the National FFA Convention and Expo. And we'll share the results from the convention at RuralRadio.com, and you can always follow along on the Rural Radio Network where we'll have radio coverage. Reporting, I'm Bryce Duskit. Next, we talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Well, Joe, it was probably um, a, a little break in the action for rather low volatility, but today was a different story. Yeah, we uh, certainly got the uh, volatility back in the uh, market, uh, in the cattle market. Uh, I guess the rest time was over and uh, it was time to uh, get going. Uh, you know, this interesting uh, trade, when you think about a Friday, uh, we had a quote-unquote bearish report, and here we are uh, threatening uh, uh, to go into new high ground. Uh, uh, it's uh, kind of unusual but, hey, it happens. I think a lot of it coming from uh, the cattle trade that happened on Friday, which was better than uh, anticipated uh, as far as price. And the cutouts were higher at noon uh, also. So all of that combined for a pretty good buying spree, uh, both in the cattle and the feeders. So uh, kind of ignoring uh, any uh, bearishness uh, out of that report and the uh, way, we, uh, way we went. So pretty Pretty strong day, triple-digit gains straight across the board. It kind of spilled over into the hogs. The hogs started out um, mixed to a little bit lower, and uh, uh, they came back uh, with a vengeance.
cash still leading the way. I mean, the uh, cutouts, uh, they're higher also uh, at noon. But uh, cash, the real uh, uh, push behind the uh, higher hog uh, futures today. Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter first two days this week, 232,000, 5,000 more than last week. Hog slaughter projected 945,000, 44,000 more than last week. Dewey Nelson reporting. is currently being featured on the Picking Channel and Food Network. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and here to visit with us today about that is Phil McLean. He's chairman of the National Wheat Foundation. And, Phil, this is really exciting news because you guys will be able to basically show through national television and some very popular channels because I'm game for anything food, food network, cooking channel related. I love stuff like that. But you'll be able to reach an audience here about wheat production and basically take it from field to their plate. So cover some ground here on what exactly is going on in this episode where the wheat industry is featured. I know you guys partnered with Ardent Mills on this project. And uh, just give us some background information on what you guys are doing with this segment with Food Network and the Cooking Channel. Okay. Well, great. That's, uh, I'm glad to have a chance to talk about it. We're really excited about it. It gives us a unique opportunity to showcase wheat and wheat farmers on a national level. We've not had this opportunity before, and the segment does a great job of bringing to light the recent anti-gluten fads and reminds consumers of the important and nutritional role that wheat plays in the human diet. Which is good for national television, a good way to, a good medium to use for that. What exactly will be featured during these episodes? Okay, they'll be showing wheat from planting all the way through uh, consumption. So we show the planting of the wheat. We'll also show harvesting of the wheat, um, caring for it, and then how it gets to consumers. And it's a short segment, so it's not in a lot of detail, but it gives a good overview of what it takes to bring something to, to the consumer. Now, as I mentioned, there is an episode that is set to air here today, but also some additional episodes coming up. Right. Uh, they'll be showing at different times. I think there's another one showing on the Friday, October the 27th at 9.30 Eastern on Food Network. All right. And finally here, Phil, talk about the importance of this kind of exposure. And really, you might be reaching out to, you probably will be reaching out to an audience that doesn't have any idea what wheat goes into and what exactly is involved when it comes to making wheat, you know, the whole process from field to their plate. So really maybe opening some eyes and, and touch on maybe the goal overall of being on a program like this. Well, that's right. We hope it will cause people to ask more questions or be more thoughtful about the choices that they make. And to get the full story about the food that they're consuming, one of the things that tends to happen to wheat and other products is, you know, they get half the story, but they don't see what the whole truth is. And so we hope this will give us an opportunity to get um, the other side out as to how good our product is and, and maybe it's not uh, got some of the harmful effects that some people say that they do. 
All right. Thanks so much, Phil. It's Phil McLean, chairman of the National Wheat Foundation, talking to us about the National Wheat Foundation being invited by WGST Productions to take part in a series called Food Quest, which goes across the globe to look at some of the most popular food staples. The series is hosted and co-hosted by Robin Leach, Alonzo Morning, and Kim Alexis, and premiered on the Cooking Channel this upcoming Friday. October 27th at 9.30 a.m. and on the Food Network. For more information on this and more feedback on this, you can head on over to RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening today to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, and we have with us... John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. You look back to yesterday, nice recovery on the daily charts, corn and wheat surged in a bullish outside day, and I guess it has to be positive when we could extend the gains today. Well, it was a good day on the, on the uh, feed grains, that's for sure, and I, you know, you don't know if what uh, what's tied to this cattle market that's, that's really on the spike move. That that, I think, has taken a little bit of uh, uh, steam out of a lot of the bear's side. And I think on the grain side, you know, you look at some of the end-using products, whether it be ethanol, uh, you know, or the livestock side, um, things are very rosy over there, and that should, should only be good for the feed grain markets. Uh, the disappointing side of it, though, is the beans. Beans being down, it tells me maybe we're looking at more spread offsetting here, considering the November contract's coming off the board and uh, just read it uh, end of the week. The first notice day will be Friday. Um, you know, that, that, in my opinion, is probably more what's going on. We're a dime off the lows already now, and I think that's uh, for corn. You know, looking at, you know, December corn 360, it's not going to be that far away. Uh, you probably need to be ready if, if you want to sell that price. Well, the sustained gains above that 20-day moving average will help support that, won't it? It should, yeah. I think, I mean, all in all, the, the things that we're seeing in the commodity space are very promising, and that should start to pull the grains. Uh, I would say that, you know, the laggers of the last, really the last two years, really since 2014, have been the grains. And, um, you know, I would think at some point they're going to start to levitate a little bit. But, um, you know, in my opinion, it's still short covering. Until we get some sort of better news in exports and, you know, yield reports that come in a little weak, I, I just feel like it's just more offsetting here and uh, the market's going to levitate itself up. You know, look at 380 March. I think those are good targets in the short run here as far as sales go. Um, you know, I've been to say this, and this is going to be in my continued message uh, throughout the rest of this year and into the next year. The carry is not going away. It hasn't gone away in wheat. I doubt it's going away in corn. Your best sales are not, most likely not coming in that front month. They're going to have to come a couple months out. John, the corn and soybean fund traders are short, aren't they? Yes. So on a net basis, we're short. Well, not on the beans were long, but on the net basis in wheat and corn were short, but there are longs in the market. So open interest is very high right now. You have a very high long picture and a very, very high short picture. That just is, is more, in more, in my opinion, a recipe for volatility. If you're an option trader, that means you buy both calls and puts and hope the market just blows out one way or the other. All right, thanks. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. Remember and ask about his... A newsletter this week in grain. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.